0: Hey guys it's Dr. J and Apostle Sherman and we are so excited that you have tuned in for this week's message we pray that it blesses you and helps to transform your life and the direction that God has for you enjoy the message I have my dear friend her and I have been friends for 16 years I ran a schools of ministry in Las Vegas she was one of my students And uh, she quickly became a friend, and uh, she's one of the most anointed worship leaders I've ever encountered. The girl is wild, Um, and I I love everything about this woman. So to have her here, it's truly an honor. And uh, thanks, Cynthia, for coming, taking time, (laughs) and, and defying all news forecasts. And you still flew down to Southern California, and I just want to thank you for your courage in the blood of Jesus. Okay. And I apologize for those, if you are watching online, I don't know how much the cameras zoom in. Um, if they happen to zoom in quite a bit, you're going to see a bloody right eye. And I'm sorry, it is so not attractive. I, I train for Krav Maga, which is Israeli military fighting. I know, kind of bizarre. I do hand-to-hand combat. And last night, I, I know it's weird, but I kind of love it. Uh, I get a punch. and But I got punched last night on accident. So um, my eye uh, got got nailed, so I'm good, no permit damage, went to the doctor today, yay, so um, it's just not attractive, it's just not attractive, so I'm sorry this is the first time we're meeting and I have like kind of the crazy bloody eyes, so sorry about that, but next time it won't always be like this, back to the anointing, right, honored to be with you, I'm excited for what I'm about to release because I feel like it's a word of strategy for the house, and i believe as you are stepping into i believe a new era because significance of dates are very important to me anniversaries chronological shifts and taking moments to honor leadership and a house and what God is doing and the merging with the Anwa movement, which I believe our my brother who was receiving the offering, mentioned that what is one of the most significant movements for this hour is the Anwa movement. I could not agree more. I think it's one of the not one of the most, if not the most significant movement in America right now. I'm gonna go as far to say that because I believe God is highlighting the African American community like never before. I cannot tell you, I have been prophesying for probably a couple years now for everyone to move to the side if you're not African American. And I know that might sound strange, uh, but I say that humbly and I say it sincerely because it is your hour. It is your moment. God is using you to change the course of this nation. He is calling you to be the forerunners of revival in this hour. I cannot bring it to you enough. The seriousness of this, the responsibility you carry in the spirit The African American, American community could not be more important to what God is doing in this nation. The Anwa movement, what it is producing, is so powerful and anointed, it's changing culture. And we need our culture change. Can I get an amen? You are a part of that culture change. Come on, San Bernardino. You're a part of changing California. You're 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 gonna change, and it has been prophesied so many times that how California goes the nation goes. So California is an imperative state. It's an anchor state for the spiritual climate of America. Friends, you're a part of that. So you're not here by accident. And if you are not African-American, you're still included in that. I'm still included because I'm going to be side by side. I'm going to be right beside you. I'm I'm not going to be muscled. I'm, I'm, I'm cheering you on, but I'm in it. And so just know it's for everybody, but I simply highlight because of the significance of what you carry for this hour. The warfare has been great, but watch God. Watch God redeem it all. Watch God come through and write a new narrative that no one can deny, but God is writing a new story. I, I-, I really say that to you. Watch God in this next season write a new story and a new narrative because it is time. It is time. I prophesied January 20th, 2020. So a year ago, I was in the East Coast of America and I was getting a word for the house that I was in in Virginia at that time and for the state of Virginia. I only got a couple of things for the actual nation heading into 2020. And I think I shared this at Issachar, but I simply want to highlight this real quick because it's kind of connected what I believe of where we're going. The Lord prophesied through me January 20th, 2020, that 2020 was a year of not keeping your schedule. I had no idea what I was prophesying. Anyone relate to that? You know, in part you prophesy, in part you release it. And as I'm saying, I'm like, that's so weird. But because we don't edit, we don't subtract, we don't make it digestible, as a prophet of God, you just release the word of the Lord. And so I hear it's not about keeping your schedule. And then the Lord has me repeat that three times. I establish it in the spirit. And then he has me end it with this. It will be a year of detour, surprises, interruptions. (laughs) Lastly, he says, it's a year of not keeping your schedule because it's about coming into alignment with my presence. All of 2020, friends, even though COVID is not of God and there was all these factors that were not of God, and yet God can use all factors, right, was about coming into his alignment. It was about cutting away the fluff, the stuff, the things that we had had in our life that had no eternal value, but we were giving all our money, time, and attention to. And God says, I'm going to strip down the church. I'm going to strip down the programs. I'm going to strip down this, that, or the other. I'm going to strip down maybe your social life or different things. I'm going to strip it all down. And I'm going to bring you into an opportunity of coming into alignment with my presence. And so what does alignment look like? Well, that's the question I've been asking. Because this fall, or I should say late summer, early fall, I heard the Lord say to me, you're now in phase two. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was thinking we were going to be done. So when I heard phase two, I was like, no, no, you didn't. No, no, you didn't just phase two me because that, because that doesn't mean we're, that's like not, that's not coming to the end. I I was looking for an end. I wasn't looking for a phase. I'm looking for a final, right? And he's like, you're now in phase two. And I said, what's phase two? And he says, you've so focused on the detour, surprises, interruptions, the lack of schedule, the uncertainty. You've had enough time for adaptive energy to kick in. You're acclimated. You're acclimated, Krista. What was the second part of that word? Coming into alignment with my presence. Now I want you to focus on this is phase two. It took me from March to about end of summer just to acclimate to all the detour, surprises, interruptions, to actually step into a place of alignment. This past fall has been all about the alignment. September 18th through the 20th was Rosh Hashanah. The Lord said, pay attention to Rosh Hashanah. I haven't been someone typically who's been super dialed into that. I'm aware of it, but I can't say I have studied it a ton. This year, I took time and actually studied it out. It was very interesting. And we all know this. This is kind of basic. But Rosh Hashanah is literally the head of the year. It's the Jewish New Year. It's like our version of December 31st, Jewish. It is from sundown Friday to sundown Sunday, I believe. And Rosh Hashanah actually means, now this is what's so powerful, that the Lord remembers. So the Lord says, you're in phase two, come into alignment. Rosh Hashanah takes place. He begins to speak to me about the remembrance of the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you mean by the remembrance? He said, you know, God remembering is not a recollection of things forgotten because God doesn't forget. He never forgets his promises. He, ne- he never forgets your cries, your prayers. But it's a repairing. It's a piecing together of seemingly broken promises. So it's God bringing together his kind intention with the fulfillment of long-awaited promises. So as we stepped into a new year, I heard the Lord say, you're celebrating a new year, December 31st. But I heard the Lord say, I'm celebrating it right now. Chris, you just stepped into a new year. Well, then I got really excited because I was out of 2020 in September. (laughs) That kick was horrible, I know. But, you know, I'm like, sweet, I'm out. Everyone's like, I can't wait for a new year. I'm like, we're in a new year. We're actually there. And I heard the Lord say, that Hannah, Elizabeth, and Sarah, all three women in the word of God that were infertile and barren. All three of them during Rosh Hashanah in the word of God were visited by the spirit of God. Their, wo- their wombs then got healed and they conceived and were with child during Rosh Hashanah. Why is that significant? Because God remembered the cry of their heart. God remembered the infertile, barren places. And what do I want to prophesy to you tonight? I want to remind you, San Bernardino, Anwa. I want to remind you, sitting here as an individual, as a child of God, those that are watching online, God has not forgotten. God has heard every prayer, every cry, every prophetic word that has been prophesied, that has been delayed, that has felt barren that has felt like an infertile place, that has felt like a place that has been forgotten. God says, I am visiting those places in this hour at this time because this is the time where God remembers. I believe 2021 is the year of remembrance. 2021 is the year of remembrance, I believe this is the time where God says, I'm going to come through in ways you can't even imagine. I'm going to come through and encounter the barren places. There are some women in here where you have been desiring children. There are some people in here where you've been desiring breakthrough in your family for the prodigal to come back home, for the debt to get paid, for the breakthrough to happen in the promotion at work, for the breakthrough of the spiritual gift you've been desiring desiring. desiring to have access to. The Lord says, I'm coming to the places that were once barren, and I'm making them fertile because I remember you. The Lord says, I have forgotten nothing. It's simply been on my timing. And the Lord says, this is the hour. Watch me remember. The Lord reminded me of a powerful person in Scripture, Ruth. Who loves Ruth? Ruth's life is such a demonstration of faith. It's such a perfect picture of everything I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ruth 1, and we're going to read some scripture in the story of Ruth that I believe outlines what God is saying. I'm reading out of the New King James tonight. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of one was the name of the man was Imelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Milan and Chilion of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And then Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and with her two sons. Now they took the wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Melion and Chilion also died, so the so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Skip to verse eight. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kisses them goodbye, and they wept out loud, and they said, said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husband? return home my daughters I am too old to have another husband and even if I thought there was still hope for me and even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons why would you wait for them to grow up would you remain unmarried for them no my daughters it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me at this they wept out loud again and then Orpah kissed say kissed Her mother-in-law, goodbye. But Ruth clung, say clung, to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, little G. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Here is three women who have lost everything. They have no promise of provision. In those days, it was before a woman could go and work outside the home and actually provide for herself. No, women in this culture at this time historically were completely reliant on family and friends' benevolence if they found themselves as a widow. As a widow, you would only survive off the compassion of your friends and your family. That's why many women, widows, excuse me, would perish because they didn't have the community of the support. There was such a vulnerability. There was such a fear. There was such an uncertainty in their situation. And remember, all their dreams. You know, when you get married, you have a dream. When you're a part of a marriage covenant, you have a, a vision of family, of, of children, of generational legacy. Naomi's son, she's like, oh, my gosh, they're married. I'm going to have grandchildren. I mean, you, you know how it is. We picture our future. We picture how our lives are going to be. And I know there's many stories in this room. And there's stories in my life, too, where you find yourself in places in life where things did not turn out as you foresaw your life to turn out. Friends, those are called crossroad moments. What do you do when things don't go as you thought they would go? I think we can all say 2020 has been a crossroad year. And we had five good days of 2021. I really thought she was going to come through for us. I, I really thought she was going to change it. I, I really thought, I was like, 2021, you're looking good. You, oh, well, it was, it was short and sweet, Right? So you find yourself in places you did not expect to be. And yet it is in those crossroad moments, friends, that the most important decisions of your life are often made. Never underestimate the power of the decisions you make at the crossroad moments. And they're so hard to make, and you know why? Because the emotions are the highest. It's at crossroad moments that it's hard to know your are due north. It's at your crossroad moments where grief is overwhelming. You can't even raise your head to praise God. The Lord's saying, oh, why downcast? Oh, my soul, worship all that is within me. But yet there is such a grief. You can't even get the praise out of your mouth. Have you been there? I know I've been there. Where I'm saying in my head, I know you're good, God, but you sure don't feel good. See, that's a crossroad moment. Crossroad moments have crisis of faith. Crossroad moments make you question the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Crossroad moments are when your emotions are high, when it looks like a total contradiction to what you expected to happen. And there's part of you that can't even get your head around the fact you're even there. And yet it's in that moment. That we're supposed to make some of the most important, critical decisions of our life. And I think in God's kindness and goodness, it's all the more when we get to the end of ourselves. It's when we really start tapping into who God is. See, all these women were at a crossroad moments. And really, honestly, you and I are at a crossroad moments here. Our nation is in a crossroad moment. I know on a personal level, I've probably had the last two years of my life have probably been the most difficult years I've ever had in my entire life. Getting up to preach and minister has truly been an offering before the Lord. I have asked the Lord so many times, Lord, can I just wallow? Can I just sit in bed for a few days? Can I I just not get out of bed today? And the Lord says, daughter, look at it as an offering. Look at it as a sacrifice of praise. He says, I'm going to teach you what it is to not feel it, but to simply step into it. Did you know that half the time I'm preaching, I'm preaching myself to a breakthrough? I'm preaching my own faith into a place, back into getting off the fringe. Does that make sense? Thank you, she gets me, I like to be gotten. See, these women were facing giants, you and I are facing giants, we're facing giants of racism, we're facing giants of bigotry, African-American community, of ignorance, of evil, and then we have personal battles, loss of job, loss of income, loss of security, The hits have been numerous, and they've been from multiple sides and layers. And right when you thought it wouldn't get harder, then something happens, and you find yourself going, I didn't think I would be here. I think that's very much how Ruth and Naomi and Orpah thought. They had a vision. They already had a death in the family. The patriarch of the family line died. They're already at a crossroad. And then one son dies. Woo, that's a hit. And then the third man in the family line dies. That's a crossroad. That's called crisis. Crossroads are the crisis in your life. And here we are in God's saying, did you know that the decisions you make at the crossroad of your life will determine the legacies that you leave? See, I want to focus on how Ruth and Orpah responded in this moment because it's two women, two situations, same situation, same details, same grief, same They both lost their father-in-law. They both lost their husband. They both lost the promise of family with that person. They lost the dreams of what they pictured it to be. They lost it. And they're looking at the same situation. How unique is that? Same crossroads, same grief. But how these two women responded to the same crossroad led to two very different legacies. Yes. Wow. See, here's Naomi. She's riddled with grief, and her grief is real and her grief is understandable. In the midst of her pain, she's not only lost her husband, she's lost her sons, she's lost her entire legacy, inheritance, and promise. She's looking at two foreigners that happen to be her daughter-in-laws, but they're not even of her people. She's now having to leave Moab because she's the foreigner, go back to Bethlehem, Judah, where she's from, and hope some family there will take her in and take care of her. Her her future is so bleak. She has no promises. She doesn't even know the state. This is before email. This is before internet. She can't, like, find out how her family's doing. Do you guys have a room for me? Do you have some finances for me? Is there a place at your table? She doesn't know. All she knows is she has no place here. So she's got to go here. And these two daughter-in-laws come to Naomi, and we read it in Scripture. And she begins to go off, and there's this monologue that comes out of her, but it's riddled with her grief. And she says, why would you come with me? See, these two women were planning on going. Both Ruth and Orpah were like, we're here with you, Naomi. We love you. We're here for you. You're a mother-in-law. You're a family. We're ready to go. Their bags are packed. They're ready to go. Naomi goes, are you crazy? Why would you go with me? I don't have a husband. I don't have sons. Even if I did have a husband and I had a son tonight, are you going to wait for him to grow up? Of course not. It's not going to work out for you. You can't go with me. And then she says one of the most detrimental statements. And she says, the Lord's hand is turned against me. It's better for you to go back to Moab. Here's what you have to understand about that statement and why that's so destructive. Because the Moabites worship false gods. They worship the god of Moloch. Sexual perversion in their worship and to the point where uh, they would actually cut open the wombs of pregnant women and sacrifice the babies, the unborn babies to their god. True story. So this is a very perverse culture. The thing, the culture that Ruth and Orpah were delivered out of. Naomi and her grief is telling them to go back into If you are not listening to the right voices at the crossroad moments of your life, they'll tell you to go back to the thing that actually God brought you out of. The voices of grief will actually tell you in their pain to go back to captivity when God brought you into freedom. See, if you're listening to the wrong voices at the crossroad moments of your life, you'll go back to the places of bondage. And see, I think every one of us in this room can relate to this. Where you have been on your way, you're like, Naomi, we're with you. We're with you. I, I, I'm all in. Let's do this. It's unknown, but if we're together, we can do this. And then someone comes with their experience. Apostle Sherman, I, I wouldn't plan a church in Southern California. Real estate. Real estate's way too expensive. People won't come. It's too trans. It's too this. It's too liberal. It's too this. Too that. You can't change culture. They'll give you the litany of the list of why things won't work. Why a movement can't happen. Why you can't make it in this industry or that industry. Why this can't happen. Why you can't happen. Why that dream won't take place. And they'll give you their sob story. They'll give you their experience, which is not your experience. But if you're in a vulnerable place and you're in a crossroad moment where you can't even get your head up to praise the Lord, but you're listening to the wrong voice. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself following the grief and the pain to the wrong location. And you'll get out of position because you listen to the wrong voice in the crossroad. Friends, we are in a crossroads The voices that you're listening to this hour could not be more important. Because there's a lot of people preaching, quote, unquote, the gospel. But you got to know the spirit of God to know what's really being preached. Come on, church. See, I believe the narrative that you're listening to in this hour is critical for the destiny that's ahead. See, Orpah heard the argument. It sounded like a logical case. Because remember, they're in Orpah and Ruth's hometown. They're around their friends and family. She's a widow. Logically, it would make sense they stayed in Moab because that's the most likely place that they would be taken care of. It's the most likely place they could maybe meet a second husband because they already knew a bunch of people. Does that make sense? It made logical sense. But friends, bingo, Dr. Jaquette got it, logical. God is not always logical. Yes, he's given us a mind, but he speaks to us in our spirit. And see, you have to understand that sometimes following God looks illogical. Sometimes pursuing what God has put in you does not make sense to those around you because they did not have your encounter, because they did not have your prophetic word, because they did not have that moment at the altar, because they did not hear what the Lord whispered in your ear. So because they did not have the encounter, they cannot speak to your movement. But if you're at a crossroads in a vulnerable place, which we are all in right now, Be aware of who you're listening to in this hour or you will be taken out of position. Orpah goes back. She worships the false gods. She goes back to captivity. (laughs) She goes back to captivity and she leaves, in a sense, the children of God, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi and Ruth. They go to Bethlehem, Judah. They go to a place unseen. And Ruth is this young woman. Naomi's not in a place. She's older. She's not able to go and do provision, provide for the family. But Ruth is young. She's agile. She's healthy. She can do this. So what does she do? She positions herself in the fields behind the workers. And she can't pick. She's not supposed to be picking because she's actually not one of the official workers. But she's like, okay, if they can just leave behind enough where I can get a meal for two people. So she's just getting scraps. Friends, she's just getting crumbs. She's in sheer survival mode. But I want you to know, sometimes when we're in survival mode, God's still writing revival in our story. We might be, it might feel like we are in survival mode in America. Friends, we are actually in revival mode. The darker it gets, the more revival is likely to come. I promise you, if you look historically, the darkest places had the greatest revivals. So the darker it gets, the more Sean and I, my husband and I are like, oh, it's on. Oh, it's on. It's getting so dark. It's getting so crazy that God's about to bust out. But see, Ruth is just there. She's just trying to get crumbs. She's just trying to get a meal. That's all she's focused on. But then she catches the attention of the most eligible bachelor in the land, Mr. Boaz. He has a rose, and he walks up to her. Would you accept this rose? Just kidding. You didn't actually do that. Just wanted to honor the bachelor for a moment, which I don't watch, but hey. The most eligible bachelor in the land. Here's Boaz. And he sees this woman, Ruth. He wants to marry her. And he obviously, he proposes to her. She's like, yes, yes, yes. Just kidding, that's what I did. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And he says, I love you. I want to take care of you. But I want to take care of Naomi, your mother-in-law, as well. And Ruth is like, what? That's amazing. I was just trying to get a meal. I was just trying to get enough food for My mother-in-law and I. See, it was risky for her to come to Bethlehem, Judah. She was a foreigner. They didn't like the Moabites. She didn't know if she would be discriminated against. She didn't know if she'd be judged. She didn't know if she'd ever be accepted. She didn't know if she'd ever even be included into their society. It was so risky what Ruth did. So not only does she go, she gets favor with Boaz. He falls in love with her. He marries her. He takes care of her mother-in-law. And then... God begins to write this incredible story. But before I jump to how the story he writes is so powerful, we have to understand something. And we have to back up just a moment, because I feel the Lord saying, don't forget to say this, Krista. Thank you, Lord. How the two women, Orpah and Ruth, responded in the midst of deciding if they would go with Naomi was everything to do with their physical response. Remember, Orpah kissed, but Ruth clung. See, a kiss is fleeting. A kiss is temporary. Remember, who kissed Jesus before his betrayal? There's a lot of people that kiss, and there's no intimacy. Kissing is actually not intimate. It's passing. It's momentary. It has no commitment. People will kiss you. And stab you. But when someone is clinging, what does that look like? It looks like I'm not going anywhere. It looks like I'm not leaving. I don't care what you say, Naomi. I don't care about your narrative of grief. I don't care about your pain right now. I don't care. You can say whatever you want, Naomi, but I'm not going anywhere because where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. I'm clinging to you. I'm not going anywhere. And so many times when I was pastoring, I'd see people in the back and they have their hands in their pocket and they're not participating in worship. And I I talk to them and they'd be like, I just really want to encounter God. And I was like, how about participating in worship? Well, I mean, I'm in worship and I'm like, "Mm," but you know, your physical response, your physical response isn't indicative of you engaging in worship. And they would be like, well, I don't feel like I have to move around to participate. And I'd be like, but I've seen you at your sporting events when your favorite team gets the winning shot. I've seen it when your favorite song comes on and you have to get up and dance. Don't you think that God deserves a physical response when he's asking you to trust him in the crossroads? See, I believe we're in our friends where God isn't looking for kissing Christians, he's looking for clinging disciples. And I believe there is a chasm that's being created between the kissing church and the clinging church. See, we have to understand that clinging is contingent by what you're listening to. By what you listen to is what you cling to. And what you cling to is what you come into. And see, Ruth clung to God. Ruth clung to Yahweh. She clung to her mother-in-law. She clung to covenant. And because she clung and didn't kiss, God remembered her. Remember, we're talking about remembering. We're talking about at the crossroad moments where you can't even get your head up to worship. When you're like, Lord, I have believed with every fiber. I do not have any faith left in me. And he says, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Get in my presence and receive a fresh portion. Because I'm not done yet. You're in survival, but I'm in revival. And He says, Apostle Sherman, I remember you. Doctor, I remember you. Worship team, I remember you. I remember every prayer, every prophetic word, every desire. I remember. And so you remember, Ruth is just trying to get a meal, but there was a whole legacy of dreams she had in her heart that she thought she had to give up. Because at crossroad moments, it often feels like death of dreams and death of promises. But God says if I prophesied it, it will still happen even through the crossroad moment doesn't matter if I prophesied it at the beginning of 2020 and then 2020 happy. You're like, that's not going to happen. Who said who? What? If God prophesied it, you're simply at a crossroad. But if you lean into, if you cling to him in the crossroad, he's going to take you to the promise. See, Ruth was just trying to get a meal, and then God remembered her. And she's like, can you imagine? Let's just play it out modern day. This is, if I was Ruth, this is how I'd be. God, I'm so grateful. I was just trying to get a meal and you brought me a man. I was just trying to get enough on my dinner plate and you brought me a godly, wealthy man. Lord, I was just trying to get a meal for my mother-in-law and you brought me a man who's going to take care of me and my mother-in-law and you've given me a home Oh, God, I am so grateful. Oh, Lord, I I just wanted a meal, and you've given me family. Lord, so much more than I could ever expect. And then God would whisper, but I'm not done yet. And then all of a sudden, Ruth finds herself, and she's conceived. And Ruth has has a son named Obed. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I just wanted a meal. I'm just a foreigner. I just came to take care of my mother-in-law to make sure she was okay. But you've given me a husband. You've given me a home. You've given me a man who takes care of my family. Now I'm a wife. I'm a mother. Lord, I'm so grateful. All I wanted was a meal, and you've given me legacy. I'm so grateful for what you've done. And then God, because he remembered Ruth, he whispers, I'm not done yet. Because then Obed grows up and he has a son named Jesse. And she's like, oh, God, you're so good. I just wanted a meal. I was just a foreigner. I didn't have anything. But you gave me a husband. You've given me a son. Now you've given me a grandson. Lord, you've given me now generational legacy. I had nothing. And you gave me everything. God, I'm so grateful. And God, because he remembered Ruth, whispers once again, I'm not done yet. Because Jesse had a son by the name of David. And David was a warrior and a man of God, a man of covenant who became one of the greatest kings of the day. And here, Ruth is looking at her great-grandson. David, King David, she's like, I'm just a Moabite woman who just wanted a meal. I just wanted to be able to provide for my mother-in-law, but you gave me a husband. You gave me a son. You gave me a grandson, and now you've given me a great-grandson, and now he's the king of the nation. Oh, God, I can't believe that's my lineage. I just came with nothing, but you've given me everything, and then God whispers once again, I'm not done yet because then God takes that lineage and births his son Jesus through the lineage of Ruth, this Moabite woman who was at a crossroad moment who had nothing, who chose to cling in the midst of contradiction, who chose to lean into the, un- who chose to not cower to the grief to the pain, to choose the unknown and she got grafted into the genealogy of Jesus she got a book written about her in the word of God and we're still talking about her to this day why because she clung at the crossroad how you respond to the crossroad moments of your life will determine your generational legacy friends you and me us we are in a crossroad moment and i tell you what we better cling like we've never clung before when I began to study out, because there was no more in the word of God about Orpah, and I'm someone that I kind of just need to know everyone's story. So I went to historical documents. I started reading historical stories. And what I found was astounding, especially in the Jewish culture. A lot of rabbis teach at the synagogues and in schools that actually Orpa, when she went back to Moab, she married a man from the tribe of Gath. Orpah had four sons, and one of her sons was by the name of Goliath. So when you circle back to 1 Samuel 17, and there is a battle between David and Goliath, it's actually the legacy of Ruth and Orpah coming back face to face, all from the decisions that were made at a crossroad moment, and Ruth won. Are you catching this? One woman kissed and went back to captivity. And one woman clung. And she went after God's legacy. So when we read the battle between David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, this is actually the result of these two women's decision. So you can't tell me the decisions we make at the crossroad moments of our life don't have generational impact. One produced the giant that opposed the things of God. And one produced the giant killer who took out the things that opposed the things of God. I believe we are in the hour where God is saying those that cling will produce the giant killers. We have some giants in our nation. We have some giants in the church of America. But God is saying, where are my clinging Christians? Where are my clinging disciples that will produce in their legacy the giant killer who will take out the things that have been the stronghold for the kingdom of God that was always supposed to be established in our nation? Saylah. David's name means beloved and friend. You know what Goliath's name means? Without cover. One, one chose to break covenant outside of cover, and one chose covenant to be covered. We have to understand, we are in a covenant-choosing moment. It is not comfortable. It is not convenient. It has a price. But friends, we're talking about there is a battle for our generational legacy in this hour. And it is everything about clinging to what God is saying and doing in this moment. Worship team. Here's what I love about David. We know the story of David and Goliath, right? Common story. But sometimes we forget how David came and actually defeated Goliath. David's words before he actually killed Goliath were this. He says, you uncircumcised Philistine. I come to you in the name of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, you who are out of covenant. I come to you in covenant. Therefore, covenant always defeats out of covenant. So what everyone else had been afraid of for 40 days and 40 nights. Remember, the Philistine army had come before the army of the Lord every morning taunted them every night taunted them 40 days friends that's 80 times and the army of the lord is sitting there scared and afraid and this little ruddy they believe david was about 17 years old that's it and he comes up to king saul remember saul tries putting on his armor and david's like i can't do it too big it doesn't feast this little guy really Are you ready for this? But because David had been trained in the private hidden place, because he said, These that are like the bear and the lion, I will kill him like one of these. That private battle that you've been having with the bear, that private battle you've been having with the lion, the private battles that you've been going through that no one ever sees. The Lord says, Because you've chosen covenant, I will now put on display the authority and the anointing you walk in. Why? Because at the crossroad moment, you didn't listen to the wrong voice. You clung to the Spirit of God. See, David just threw a stone that happened to supernaturally hit Goliath at the one place he didn't have like 80 pounds of armor. But he actually beheaded Goliath with Goliath's sword. I love that. He took the weapon away from the enemy and killed the enemy with its weapon. Why? How can we do that? You can only do that if you're in covenant. You don't have the authority otherwise, friends. The authority of the Lord. Watch. There's going to be more and more teaching that begins to happen on the authority of God. But friends, the authority isn't something that's caught. It is something that is worshipped, exalted simply by praising who He is. I can't give you authority. I can't pray authority on you. I can't pray covenant on you. It is in the private, quiet places of our life. It's in the crossroad moments when no one's looking and you can't even barely get up, but you sit there in all the pain and all the grief. You're like, you don't feel good, but I still choose you. I don't feel like worshiping, but I'll still worship you. You get your authority by pressing through and clinging in the crossroad moments. There is no shortcut to intimacy. There is no shortcut to authority. And we're in a consumer mentality in the Church of America. We want it our way, we want it convenient, and we want it quick. Why do you think there's been such a stripping back? Because God's like, this takes time and I'm gonna give you the time. Now what are you gonna do with it? This is about coming into alignment with his presence. This is about allowing the stripping process to be started, continued, or completed, depending on where you're at in it. But friends, we are still not business as usual, and I believe there's a purpose in that. I believe it's the kindness of the Lord saying, come on. I've stripped back your social schedule. Now, he didn't do COVID, so hear, hear the context of that. I'm, I'm stripping back your schedule. And we can be busy with a lot of stuff, but does it have eternal value? Because what we do in the crossroad moments determines the legacy of our lives. I feel the anointing of the Lord just wash through the room, and I just feel, Ooh, thank you, Lord. There's a real deep work the Lord's doing in the room right now. I just see there's a, he's going after hearts, he's ministering to hearts, and he's putting his finger on different things in all of our lives. He said, can I have that? He said, no longer clinging to that, clinging to this. There's been so much battle at this hour for the narrative that we're listening to. And so much of it is riddled with fear. And God says, stop clinging to the wrong narrative. What are you clinging to? And he's saying, can I have it? I've been in a personal, pressing, crushing season led by the Lord. He's asking for everything right now. And a whole other level. I thought I was surrendered. God's like, I want you to get surrendered. That's scary when you think you're surrendered and God says, I want you to surrender. Oh, Lord. But the answer is always yes. But it has been, can I be honest with you, it has been painful. I've had to lay down everything. Anything I've tried to petition for God go surrender it everything I've been just contending for with the the best intention but God's like trust me with it just surrender it allow me to be your source allow me to be the God of breakthrough allow me to be your source and your provider allow me to be the bondage breaker so friends what are you clinging to tonight? I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in a song and I'm going to come back and minister for just a moment. But I feel like there's a Salem moment in the spirit and I heard the Lord say, I want to minister to my kids however you need to respond on your face, in your chair, standing up, whatever. I want you to respond because I believe there's a moment of encounter that's happening and for you watching online, to YouTube, whatever that looks like, in your family room, in your bedroom, in your car right now, wherever you're watching, I want you to respond because God is putting his hand on you and He's saying, Will you trust me? Will you give it all to me? No parts of your life inaccessible, everything given to God. Can we trust Him? Because friends, it's about clinging to Him, laying it all down, full surrender. Wow, that was amazing. Agreed. We want you to stay connected with All Nation San Bernardino. Do not let the uplifting stop here. Join us on Facebook or Instagram for more amazing content. We want to connect with you. And guess what? If you're in town or even out of town, come visit us at All Nation San Bernardino all the way live.